I'm Tanya Avery. And I'm Holly Clark, host of the Infuse Classroom Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Be sure to check out all of our other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Kindergarten Chaos, the Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. Today we have something a little bit different for you. I have a recording of a presentation that mom gave for ESGI about reading interventions. If you want to see the video, then you can go to the link in the podcast description or you can go to our website at kindergartenkiosk.com slash podcast and you can see that video. Hope this is helpful for you. So you have those students, I've had those students who just don't get it yet. And through targeted instruction, we can change all of that. This is my little Yeti. I had a friend that hung up this bulletin board and I just fell in love with her graphic because it's kind of what I think about when I think about intervention is the kids need to open up and we just put all of that inside of them. So most of you are familiar with the three tiers of instruction and tier one is the core classroom instruction that's like journeys, wonders, foundations or whatever you've been asked to teach. Tier two is um, small groups. So it's your guided readings that have differentiated instruction for different levels. And then tier three is what at my school we're calling the intervention block. So why is tier two and three support crucial? Well, brain research has confirmed that reading is a most complex brain activity. In fact, reading is indeed rocket science. There is a lot can, that can go wrong when a child is learning to read. Each potential problem must be closely examined. So this statistic I'm always just staggered with, that there is an alarming 30 million word gap that can prevent students from comprehending grade level text. That means the students in your classroom can have a discrepancy of up to 30 million words that they have experienced in their lifetime. Students also have a varied level of experiences with books. Lots of students enter um, their formal schooling with over 3,000 hours of lap time sitting and listening to a book story being read to them. Other students unfortunately come with maybe even only 300 hours. And I really have had students who have never even seen held a book before in their whole life. And this is basically the Matthew effect in action. It's the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now on top of those staggering statistics, students um, also have a giant discrepancy of eyes on text. So a typical first grader who is reading on grade level can see up to 18,000 words, well can actually read up to 18,000 words in text as they're learning to read in the first grade classroom. But think about it, you're struggling readers who are still down there on level 
A through E, even in first grade, are only seeing up to 2,000 words. So these struggling students have a greater slump as years go on. As the students go from grade to grade to grade, um, as things get harder and more complex, they begin to um, change from learning to read to reading to learn. And it's really tough for these kids that have that lack of vocabulary, the lack of eyes on text, to catch up and really read what cont is the content that they're needing to know. So the third grade slump is a real thing. And in the new push down curriculum, it kind of starts happening in second that students begin to really feel and know that they're behind. So those struggling readers, they become frustrated. They can become behavior problems. They have a sense of hopelessness and turn to less productive stimuli. They have fewer opportunities in life. And, and so we need to intervene. So the first thing we need to do when we're going to intervene with a student is we're going to um, target the problem. We need to know which or maybe all of these is our students so, um, low in. So is their problem oral language? Is it vocabulary, phonics, phonological awareness? Is it sight words, phrasing, fluency, comprehension? And then within all of those categories are a million subcategories. So like I said, learning to read is rocket science and there are a lot of things that can go wrong. So the first thing we need to do is we need to know the progression of reading. And this is a sample of a progression that shows a reading timeline because reading is such a complex brain activity. It must be um, taught sequentially. And if students aren't getting it, then the best way for us to diagnose the problem is to move back to the timeline. For example, a problem that um, I know a lot of teachers have students that um, if they're trying to decode a word and they say cob, so they've got all the sounds right, but they were not able to put those sounds back together when they recorded the word. So the first thing we need to do then is um, trace back on the timeline. So if you see the red arrow down at the bottom, that would be the decoding words. So we need to look up into the timeline and notice all of the things that a student really needs to have mastered before, that they, before they can do that skill. Um, first off, do they know their letter sounds? Well, in this incident, the student said ka, a, n, so I can feel pretty confident that they do know their letters and sounds. So then I move up to the very top to phonological awareness because we don't really think about it, but many and most times that a, start, a student is having a hard time um, decoding a word is because they are not hearing it correctly because they have limited experience in phonemic awareness. So the first thing I would do with this student that has this problem is I would go and um, uh, see if they can tell me the numbers of a word in a sentence. The dog is black. How many words are in that sentence? The dog is black. If they can do that, then I'm going to move to identifying which sound is different. And um, like uh, Simon is a great one for that. For 
finding different sounds or for hearing, mimicking and parenting sounds. You don't really think about it, but those are such important skills. And um, parents, without even thinking about it, do those kind of things all the time, you know, goo, 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 and the baby goo, goo, goo. And a lot of students, however, haven't had that experience. And so we need to make sure that our students have those experience. And they love playing those games. They love um, if you go around your house and just record sounds and uh, make sure you flush the toilet. That's their favorite. And then play the sound, have them identify the sound. Or do three sounds together, flush the toilet, flush the toilet, ring a bell, and say, well, which sound was different? And you really will be surprised at how many students really have a hard time just finding the differences in hearing. So then the next thing I would do if all my student are proficient at all of those is I would make sure that I haven't skipped a step. And I know a lot of times um, we move, once our kids know alphabet letters and sounds, we move into decoding words without really um, taking the step of onset rhyme. So say to your student, what is this word? Ka-an. And if they can say can, then you can know that you can go on and just do a bunch of onset rhyme practices with three syllable words. Because if they practice with the onset rhyme, they soon are able to hear those two sounds. And then you can break it into the three sounds to blend together. If they're unable to do ka Ka-an, what is that word? Then you do the step that's lower than that. And the step lower than that is when you take the consonant vowel and the ending sounds. So can, what is that word? Can, what is that word? So knowledge is power. The reading timeline is really a great tool. Um, there's a book, and I think it's still in print, but it's my favorite one, and it's um, Core, the um, California Consortium on Reading Excellence, and it's a great one, and it has really a, a lot of information about reading timelines. So after you have your um, timeline down, then it's time to organize your assessments. Now, I've done the paper assessments where I make a packet for all the students, and my stack is this tall, but I found ESGI, and it changed my life, and so now I um, just add my student um, to the database on ESGI and I'm ready to go. If you're going to use paper, you need to make a packet for all of your students and put it in some sort of binder. Then you need to find the assessments that will allow, your, allow you to strategically determine your students' intervention needs. And these are just a few of the packets that I have um, on sale, um, the language arts for kindergarten, and for preschool, and then the reading assessments for struggling readers. And all of these um, inner, all these assessments are preloaded and free for your use on ESGI. There's also some first grade assessments on ESGI. So next, after you have your students on there and you gather your data, then you need to decide what kind of report you're going to find. And ESGI has a lot of options for you. Um, I just wanted to show you this one to the left, this alphabet letters that's down here at the bottom right where it says student progress. If you click on that, it gives you this awesome report that makes you look really good at IEP meetings and RTI meetings. Um, this one is kind of blank because um, it, it would usually generally show you a really good history line as it goes along. 
But for um, the class data, I really liked the top one, the arrows pointing to the class totals report. And if I click on that, then, oops. And if I click on that, then it's gonna give me the right data, sorry. And so then I'm going to choose which data. So that's, when you click on that icon, it will have you check a box of which data you wanna choose. Because of course, we're um, as having to assess our students on a great amount of data. But when we're going to target, we want to decide what skills we want to choose. For example, if you want students to know alphabet sounds before we're going to intervene in CVC words. So here's a couple examples. Um, the, the one in the front that's um, got a lot of blue on it, that's how the ESGI report downloads. And you can pre-select and have it correlate with your school's testing. Um, we use Dibbles, which is now Acadians. And um, so we've set up our reports so that they will come out red, um, yellow, green, blue, just like Acadians. And this one is fifth graders that are struggling on fluency. And so I've been testing them on fry words to see where they are. And if you take a look at their fry word knowledge, I can see instantly that there's a lot of blue with the K fry words, but every year that goes along that these students definitely need some intervention in sight words. Now the report back to the back where you see a lot of red, that is um, ESGI gives you the option to download to Excel. And I really love doing this one because when I do it to Excel, then I can sort and color code, um, color code and sort to fit my needs. And then I can see immediately what groups I need. So here's the beginning sound one and I can immediately see that um, group one, my lowest are Katie, Kylie, Jacqueline, and Zoe, and group two. And this is the blending, same thing. I can quickly know who those blending groups are by looking at my data. Now, I'm going to focus on the red students first, and then the yellow students I'm going to fill in as there's room with intervention groups. And, and I'll talk with you about that coming up. So now I have my data, my assessments, and I even know what groups I want. So now I have to make the plan. So I now I'm ready to decide um, what I need to do. So to begin an intervention, you need to ask yourself these questions. How am I going to fit intervention into my day? I think that this is probably everyone's number one question if they haven't um, started doing interventions in their classroom. And the next question to ask yourself is, can I do this grade level intervention? Or can it even be a school-wide intervention? Or am I on, on my own? Do I need to figure out how to do the intervention in my classroom with just me or maybe some available staff that I can find? And next, name your intervention. I think that's a real important thing. Um, I love Power Hour because this kids really feel that there's more power from learning to read. Now, my school, I tried to do all kinds of cute names, but I can't get the students and the teachers to call it anything but interventions. So we call ours interventions. <laughs> and one I love is win what I need. Another one is rise reading intervention supports everyone. So whatever you're going to name it, and you can tell just interventions works. Next, you need to really have your intervention beliefs because if when you're making a plan and you really want to make a difference in students' lives, 
you need to um, write it, write your goals down. It's just like setting a goal. And students are the priority. That's my number one intervention belief. Students are the pro are the priority. My second priority is all students are maximized to their potential. So in our school, our intervention block is actually for every student in the grade because every student has some type of need. And all decisions that we make are based on data. And we've decided at our school that our interventions are going to be held as grade level blocks. But I've done intervention in my own classroom, and I'll be showing you both options. One thing that's really important is the most educated teacher always needs to work with the lowest group. I found a lot of times in schools, I've, I've actually seen the, the opposite happening. I've seen that the teacher takes the higher kids and gives the lower kids um, out to maybe TAs. And that isn't, it can be that way. The highest trained person with the lowest kids. And then you need to make sure that you really look for any available staff or parents that can help with classroom interventions. You'll be surprised. I, when I did it on my own, I'll show you the people that I came up with. And the placement of your students has to be fluid based on data. I have a really cool um, Google Sheets that I print at the beginning of every week and hand out to my staff and the classroom teachers. Of course, I just share it. And I always tell my TAs when I'm handing it out now, hopefully this won't change. And they laugh because it changes. I think there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't make changes on that Google Sheets because it's fluid and based on data and I want students to be exactly where they need to be. And benchmark and above benchmark students also need to receive exactly what they need. Now possibly that's going to be enrichment, possibly they might be lacking some skills when you um, look at your Dibbles or Acadians data and you see a kid is blue and you open up that um, expand that view, you will quickly see that a student might be blue, but they also might even be red, yellow in other areas. And so you really need to zero in and drill down on what the kids need. And because our, we're always going to maximize students to their potential. So now it's time to organize our intervention instruction. And it's time to sort the students into the group. And I already showed you my um, sheet that I'm ready. This one is September of kindergarten year, this example. And so um, if I'm going to do it by myself, then I'm going to work with this data. But if I'm going to do it with a grade level team, then all team members need to bring their data in one form or another so they can quickly look at what kid, which kids are read and need intervention. So after, when all the teachers bring their data in, then we're going to make a big poster and list the kids who needs what skills. So under rhyming, Sue George Lincoln might be my students who need rhyming. But Molly, Cadence, and Ricky might be, belong to Rebecca, and Bentley, Baron, Vindy might belong to Mary, and Tyler, Carly, Janet might belong to Deb. And so we'll go through, and everybody will take their data and list their red students first uh, under this chart. 
Now, once you've listed your students on this chart as a grade level, from that point on, your grade level needs a whole different mindset that all teachers own all students. As soon as those names are on that sheet, all of your scores belong to all of you at the end of the year. And if you get this mentality, um, it really makes a difference. I had a principal, Linda Dunbar. Hi, Linda Dunbar. And one year she challenged me and she told me that, you know, it doesn't matter if I have 97% of my kids uh, blue in dibbles at the end of the year, year after year. But what would really make a difference is if I can um, make my PLC team together, we make a goal of being in at 90%. Because if you are um, an isolate, then you're not really benefiting the whole. And so I took her challenge and our PLC group took her challenge. And as a group, we were able to move our kids really um, quite a few points in Acadians. So it's a mindset that I just really tell all of you that um, see if that's possible with your grade level team. So now at, we take that chart and we're going to make this down here at the bottom. And you can see down there that um, there's the first box is rhyme, beginning sounds, letter names, letter sounds, blending. And so I can quickly see that Sue and Becky need every one of those areas. So I'm going to put them in that box. Now, they're the only two that needs all of those areas that are red students. And so now I can look at my yellow students. And Cadence and Baron, they're yellow. And but they're just barely yellow. So I'm going to put them in that group because they should be able to move quite quickly into green in that area. So I'm going to do the same with um, the next one. I'm going to say, well, the next kids maybe need three of those skills. And the next kid, like Vindy, only needs rhymes and letters. And George, Lincoln, and Molly and Ricky only need rhymes. So I'm going to sort my students in exactly what skills they need. I'm not going to waste George and Lincoln, Molly and Ricky's time going in a rotation and having beginning sound and blending because at this point in the year, they are um, green in that. So then after I fill in my red names, then I'm going to look my yellow students data and actually then fill them into the spaces so I can have my groups be probably four. Three or four would be my maximum in intervention. You never want more than four in a group. So now the groups are made. It's time to arrange the staff. And here's an example of a kindergarten intervention. And in this school, they are using the Waterford Early Learning Program in a computer lab, which if you haven't heard of Waterford Early Learning, it's an amazing computer program. So um, the benchmark, the below benchmark kids, they begin at 9.45 to 10.05. They'll go to that computer lab and do Waterford. And then at 10.05, they will move into room one, two, or three, where their group is going to meet. And in room one, you see that I have I will need three staff there. In room two, two staff. In room three, two staff. And then the benchmark kids, remember, they can be bigger groups. They could even be one to 20. And so they will do like a skills review and then on-level reading and then the computer lab. Here's an example of a first grade intervention that um, is going on in my school right now. This is exactly how my first grade is doing it. And so in the reading room, 
um, in doing guided writing is the reading specialist. So myself in this rotation, I'm doing guided writing with these, I begin with these students. And then I have a TA that's doing word work with sight words and vowels. And then I have a TA that I've trained into a guide, doing guided reading and a TA that's doing phonological awareness, CBC and nonsense words. And so we're rotating for 11 minute rotations or if um, the guided reading and guided writing need more time, then we do two 22 minute rotations and then swap the next day. And then the next group over is in the library and the library is right next to my reading room and it's only used on Fridays. And so we've kind of moved in there too. And um, I have a TA who's doing a book study. And as you can see, um, all the, the numbers by the students' names is actually their reading level. Um, we use the University of Utah U-STEPS program, and so we level our students that way. But um, if you look at Lindsay, for example, she's a 7-8, which in the Fountas and Pinnell world is an E. So you can see over here to the left, my ones and twos and threes and fours, that we have a critical need for intervention with these first grade students. It's January. And so we have to be really strategic about everything we do from this point forward. And then over here in the classroom two, because we have two first grade classrooms, in classroom two are two TAs, Roberta and Cheryl are TAs, and um, Roberta's doing a book study. She's doing the same book study that their TA is doing in the library. And then at 22 minutes, they rotate to RAS so we can have eyes on text. And because this is a lower group, Robert, and a bigger group, Roberta and Cheryl will switch at 22 minutes. And in the library, um, this aide will do book study. Then she'll also do the RAS. And over here, look at the blue kids that are over with Miss Moo. These kids, excuse me, these kids are blue on the Dibbles, and so we went in and drilled down on all of their data in Dibbles and ESGI, and they were above grade level on everything. So I did the grade level test with them, and you can see they're all reading grade two, three, and four. And so what we have done is at 8.30 when the their centers from 8 30 to 9 30 at 8:30 they go into the second grade classroom they will be there from 8 30 to 10 20 which happens to be mrs smoot's um, language arts block and the kids are so excited about this and the parents are so excited because we are reaching what they need this is what those students need they need a higher level of instruction and then they can go back with the first grade classroom the rest of the day because that is fitting their needs at that time. Then in classroom one, we have the two classroom teachers. Now remember I told you the highest um, trained are with the lowest students. And so um, they're doing the University of Utah Early Steps program. And I put the URL down here at the bottom. Um, uh, the Youth Steps program is everything is on there free and it's an amazing product. Now you buy, we pay quite a lot of money for them to come and do professional development and actually train all of the staff. And so um, we've really invested a lot in it, but it's also there 
um, free to use. I used it for two years before um, we had the have them actually involved in our interventions. And so they're doing, they have these students for a 45 minute block during intervention time. They don't rotate at all because they're just rotating the activities. So that's kind of what our first grade looked like. And um, I feel like I'm talking to myself. I can't see myself at all and I can't hear any of you, but I hope you're all doing okay. No one's sleeping yet. <laughs> And so here is an example of second grade intervention block. And I just wanted to show you this one because this one has a little different take on it. You can see the benchmark. There's a lot of blue and green in this class. And so the benchmark groups go into the one classroom and they're doing things like read naturally. They're doing we have the journeys program. They're doing the enrichment portion of the journeys. They're actually learning how to write reports and do a, doing a lot of reading and retell because some of these kids who were green and yellow and even blue were not green and blue on retail. So we're also working with that. And so then let's go over to the right and look at teacher one and two and they're doing the U-Steps program. And then over at the left, you can see I have two, a, two TAs that uh, are also being trained in the U-Steps program. So that's all the second graders, and they're all being taken care of with a smaller amount of staff. And so um, one of my TAs, who I've trained in the Foundation's phonics program, is now taking kids from fifth grade that are in a U-Steps group during their intervention time that needs more phonics. I mean, you can see by the reading levels that they definitely need more interventions. So they're coming, this is their English language arts part um, in the fifth grade classrooms. And so for the first 30 minutes, they're coming in and receiving foundation uh, from this TA. So now I know a lot of you are saying, but it's just me. I don't have a team. I don't have a school that has really bought into interventions yet. How can I do it? And so I thought I'd show you the most extreme way to do it. And this is a half-day kindergarten classroom because um, in Idaho and Utah, yeah, we still have half-day kindergartens. Um, so this is my schedule, and I really wanted to do something more for my students. We were in RTI school, and I needed to have a way to intervene with my students. So I looked closely at my schedule, and I found uh, this spot right here from 9.10 to 10.25. And I called my intervention flood because we were going to flood the room with reading. And... Then down here at the very bottom where you see the blue, red, yellow, green, pink, that is actually the intervention flood groups. And so I just gave um, a color like rhyming will always meet at the blue table, beginning sounds will always read at the red. And then the name cards are Velcroed. Like the three name cards are Velcroed on one um, card and so all I have to move is the one card. But if I need to move a student, I can just take off that name card. And so a kid, when I say, all right, it's flood time, they look at the color, their name is on and go immediately to that table because half-day kindergarten, I don't have a second to waste. I need them to go immediately there. And so then with my benchmark kids, 
because I'm not able to really um, enrich them as much because I don't have a staff for them. So I tried to find areas in the room that they would actually benefit from uh, with more practice on an independent level. And so I chose um, these that are pictured for them to go. But the picture has a Velcro on the back of it because I love Velcro. And so I changed that up all the time, different activities that they might go to. So what I did was I went around, I talked to my principal and I said, I have this 15 minutes and I really am hoping that there's some staff that can come and help me. Well, I had a couple special ed kids in my classroom. And so I went and asked her and she said, oh yeah, I, I can be free for 20 minutes right there. And so she actually then came into my room. There was an ELL aide and she said, oh, I can change my schedule a bit and I can come in. And then um, we had an intervention aid at that time. At one time, there was such a thing as an intervention aid um, in Idaho. It was the Idaho Reading Indicator money paid for it. And then myself and then a classroom TA or a parent. Um, I, if, I found that it's really easy to get parents to come and help with intervention times because it's not a giant commitment. It's 15 minutes this time and a lot of parents really enjoy that 15 minute time. So that's kind of how I made it work in a half day kindergarten. Now certainly they're not getting an immense apart amount of intervention, but you know, 15 minutes adds up. It adds up quickly to if you're strategic and you're targeting and you're making sure that they are only getting the skills that they need. Now, here's another example of when you're on your own. I simply made an intervention center. So I had a really good center time. I had an hour and 15 minute chunk. And so I decided that one of my centers could be an intervention. And I put parent or TA, but I had a TA at that time. And so I got five activities ready for her and had the names on who would do which activities so that it was switching. And it, it took a lot of management, but it was well worth it. So the kids really could um, benefit from that. So that's another quick way that if you're by yourself, you, you really can do it. Um, so before I go on to this slide, I just want to say, though, I, I would for sure um, talk to your grade level friends, talk to your principal, and try really hard to make this at least a grade level intervention. And if this whole school gets into it, it's like I told you, the fifth graders are coming down during the second, and that's happening two or three times during our day. So those kids are really getting what they need. So to make our interventions effective, first thing, everyone has to be on board. There can't, there can't be anyone that's going to uh, be a naysayer. Everyone has to be on board. And again, I'll say again, the highest trained people work with the lowest students. And the environment needs to be very positive with high expectations. And students thrive with that. They love it. I have quite a few TAs who really want to give stickers and prizes. And I, I won't let them. I said, you know, maybe we'll have a party sometime. But I really want my environment to be positive with high expectation. And I want my students to feel that inner joy that you really can feel from um, succeeding. And my students are feeling it. They're, they're loving 
learning more and they know they're struggling readers and I'm, I'm opening doors for them and we're empowering them. So uh, why do I need to give them a piece of candy? I, I'm just not going to. And again, student data must drive all decisions. So all teachers must work with data. Um, I'm, I know that one person can easily do the data and hand it out. And in my school's case right now, I kind of am doing that because we haven't really moved into where I want my teachers to really learn how to dive in and do the data. But if you're doing this as a grade level block, you really all need to participate in that data gathering and those group sortings because they're all your students and we need to, and you, and you really, you just learn more and you feel more if you are in the data gathering and make sure that all students are placed in the correct targeted groups and professional development must be ongoing. We have a lot of trainings in my school. Um, I know that my new teachers are probably overwhelmed, but uh, we train, train, train our teachers. And interventions must always have a priority in scheduling. I have this amazing principal, and before she made the schedule for this school year, she told me to give me her my schedule for intervention blocks that would work, and then she actually scheduled everything around it. Even the lunches she and the recesses. And so every grade level and my school has a 45 minute block that is, it's like gold. Everybody goes to intervention. And it's really important to teach lessons in a game format. Now, you know, a lot of your readings are certainly going to be more um, readings than game formats, but intervention is not a time for worksheets at all. It needs to be active, active, active learning. And game formats are amazing. And like I told you, I'm. Um, intervening in this K-12 school and so in interventions I have students from grades K to 8 and whenever I go work with those 6, 7, 8 students they're so excited because they know they get to play a game when I come and all kids at all levels love game formats and they learn quickly if, from games. Keep groups small, no more than four and like I said, allow students to feel success. It needs to be an intrinsic um, reward for the students. That's how we're going to empower them and instill that growth mindset. So here are some um, games that I sell and just some examples from for high quality intervention activities. I'm creating sets for all of the skills that we're working on and I'm using a lot of research um, based activities for these products. But for free things, here are some places you can go. The University of Utah, um, I already gave you their URL and I bet Kristen, she's probably maybe grab, um, going to get these on. If not, I'll make sure that I put this page on a follow-up blog post. The University of Florida, if you're not familiar with that one, that one is one that is actually has a stamp of RTI approval on it, and it's a lot of um, active games. PALS from the University of Virginia, Nye House has a lot of free things. Um, I know the University of Idaho, or Ohio, excuse me, um, and Illinois, I think I found some things there. So really, if you kind of just Google uh, research 
based reading games, you'll probably find a lot of activities that you can do. Now, making them, laminating them is a little bit of a job, but it's a one-time thing. I have seven file cabinets along the wall in my room, and the majority of those games I made um, maybe even up to 10 years ago, and they still look brand new because they're laminated, and so they're durable, and um, so it's worth the effort. It's worth the time to laminate, file, categorize, organize all of your learning games. So my point is um, that scientists have determined that it takes up to 400 repetitions to make a new synapsis in the brain. And if that repetition involves play, that number can be as few as 20. So that's why I say um, don't do worksheets, because if you can do a game, they might can learn that skill in 20 times, as opposed to the 400 repetitions that you can get from rote learning. And don't get discouraged. I know that um, I've actually heard these words come from people's mouths that, you know, we don't intervene with our red kids because they're just not going to get it. And to me, that just, okay, it kind of brings tears to my eyes because all kids, every child deserves intervention. And so if you hear someone, if you are someone or have someone to your school with that mentality, and that was one of the questions they said their principal actually had told them that it's wrong. They just need more practice. Some kids, typical students, need 25 practice sessions to get something. And that's with this um, game-based, play-based, active, active learning. But some of your students need 25 times 25 times. Some of your students, and these are the kids that are right up there at the, the tier three, the special ed students, the ELL students, the students that might be cognitively impaired or de developmentally um, delayed, or just, you know, they've been thrown into a world with a whole different language. For goodness sakes, if you take me and plot me in France, I'm going to need that 25 by times 25 times 25. In fact, my husband and I have been married for 42 years, and he is very fluent in uh, Spanish. He lived in Peru for a few years, and and so for 42 years, I've tried to learn Spanish, and I still can't get it. So obviously, some of us need more than 25 times 25 times 25. So we need to know that it is rocket science. We need to work hard. We, we need to do it, but our students are worth it because we can change lives. And so then also I talked a little bit about challenging the benchmark and above. I am a parent of uh, gifted students, children, I guess, <laughs> and I'm a teacher of gifted and high-achieving students, and I want for them what everyone else gets. Everyone deserves something. And so um, we plan a lot of really good, high quality activities that will enrich these high students. Now remember those benchmark groups, those higher groups can have a bigger ratio. They can work easily with 20 to one. Um, my examples were um, smaller group sizes, but they're only smaller group sizes because we're a school-wide intervention school, and I have a principal dedicated to throwing a lot of staff my way. And so I can keep these groups pretty small. But in former schools I've been in with benchmark groups, 20 to 1 works really great with um, 
benchmark and above activities. And this is a book study that I love doing book studies. And this one is the Snowman book study. And so if you go to my kiosk, uh, kindergarten kiosk web page, it's kindergartenkiosk.com. And on the right side, there's a search. And if you just type in the search snowman book study and add it to your cart and use the code ESGI, then when you check out, it will um, take 100% off of the product. And it's a really fun, very strategic um, activity that this one is focused on retailing because I told you my first graders and second graders were really struggling a lot with retelling a story. And so I've tried to narrow that down to how to really retell. So that's free for you. And um, make sure that you use the code ESGI on that product. Another thing I like to do is research projects. Um, one of my classrooms is doing animal reports. And so they're, um, we're an iPad school, so they all have an iPad where they're research. They chose their animal and predicted what they thought they already knew about the animal. And now they're writing in their notebook research um, for the animal. Then they'll do a rough draft and a next draft and then a final product. We're going to actually publish those. And that one is one that they're really getting excited about. Um, Reader's Theater is something that the benchmark students love, love. And um, my fourth grade class, they did a Reader's Theater at Christmas and then invited parents to come and watch it. And it was really cute. And writing any type of writing, any type of poetry you can do with those benchmark students. Here's um, some pages from that uh, book study on the snowy day and Frosty the Snowman. And writing and art is another thing I love to do. Um, another place I love to go is artforkidshub.com. And this guy, and he also has a YouTube channel. So if you do Art for Kids Hub on YouTube, you can find his channel. He, on his website, he has like a subscription, so you can get a few more things. But I just love this guy. I just accidentally found him and fell upon it. And he is so good because he's giving a, a guided drawing lesson to his children. And it's just amazing. You will love it. So I love to have um, my students watch on an iPad or the big screen TV if you're in a whole group and do a guided drawing. This one is an example of a guided drawing on elephants. So she did this guided drawing using Art Hub. And so then I sent the group to their tables to write their stories. And her story, elephants are very big. use mud for sunscreen and they cannot go for water for a really long time. I like elephants. And of course, um, it was a subject that we were talking about in our class. We were studying elephants at the time. So she had a little um, help with that research. So your hard work will pay off. Statistics show that in our nation, 6.6 .6 million children are at the risk of never graduating from high school. 6.6 .6 million children. And it's simply because they are not proficient by the end of their third grade year. And we can help change the future for our at-risk kids if we are strategic and targeted and focused. And we not only um, 
are not only our scores will improve, but more importantly, we're going to change lives. I've seen many, many students' lives change. I had one student that told me last year that his goal was to read a comic book by himself. And one year later, he read a comic book to me. And it was very, very rewarding. So targeted instruction will make our students more empowered, more confident, more prepared. And no matter the cause of reading, um, it, whether it be developmental, cognitive, environmental, um, their experiences, we can be the change. And so I wanted to give you another freebie. Um, my reading assessments for struggling readers, the paper version, because even though I love the SGI and you, I, I use the SGI, I kind of like the paper versions to look at to get myself organized and know what test I want to download. Um, if you also go to that search and search um, reading assessments for struggling readers and you use code C553BW1, then it also will be yours for free. And I'll put all of this on the um, probably the follow-up podcast or um, blog post. So here's my last screen that says um, ESGI, say 400 hours. I can't say enough for ESGI. I really don't promote anyone that I don't believe in 100%, and I really want other people to um, have their lives changed. So go ahead and sign up for ESGI and use the code kiosk if you'd like to save yourself some money. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?